Yo, good morning. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this morning. I uh, We're going to raw dog this podcast. You know what that means? That means uh, no prep, no notes, no nothing. Just me, a recorder in my basement. That's it. Top of the dome, top of the head, also known as being woefully unprepared. Thank you very much. I uh, just gonna kind of do it off the top of the dome. Just came back from a week in Louisiana. For that reason, I now speak with an accent. Y'all hope it's okay. No, I do love the. It's just like a southern charm accent they have. It's like that stereotypical sort of. Although I, I shouldn't say it is actually Louisiana is not like a stereotypical southern accent. I think it's a little bit more of a like born on the bayou type accent. You know what I mean? Um, really, really hospitable people though. I was in, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it last week or not, but uh, basically got invited to a conference for Rotary. Um, Rotary, which people will say, what is Rotary? He's always talking about Rotary. I don't know what Rotary is. So Rotary is basically like a leader's organization. So it was basically a two-day conference on leadership. So, you know, it wasn't a straight-up work conference, but it definitely overlaps in the sense that my job my regular job is essentially to be the leader of craft cannery. And therefore I think, you know, attending a two day seminar on leadership, there's some overlap there. Uh, there was some stuff in, in the seminar. I think that was very, very useful. It's, it's, there was also, you know, speakers and plenty of content and just kind of stuff that wasn't, so it was basically like this. It was two straight days of the two straight days. We probably spent a total of like eight hours in sessions and the sessions were, um, they were, they had to do with like, uh, God, I, I don't remember the exact names, but like there was, um, leading leaders. So it's like, uh, uh, how to attract, how to attract clients, how to attract employees. And I guess it translates because in rotary, it's kind of like how to, how to fundraise, how to attract members, right? Those kinds of things. DEI of course was, was one, but then we also had these really cool informational sessions, where they brought in speakers, and um, one one guy was the former lieutenant governor of Louisiana who kind of gave a history on the Louisiana and the importance of the Mississippi River and the Louisiana Purchase, uh, which is a, a funny thing when you dig into the Louisiana Purchase. I mean, my history is not great, but basically, you know, Jefferson sends a couple of guys down here with $10 million to buy New Orleans, down here, I say. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Rochester right now. <laughs> I guess I got used to being down there. Uh, Sends a couple people down with $10 million to buy New Orleans. They negotiate with Napoleon, who's in a bad way at the time. They don't realize it, but they've just kind of fallen into a really great deal. Napoleon's like, look, make it $15 million. I'll give you all of Louisiana, which wasn't just the state of Louisiana. It was like the territory of a bunch of states. So these guys spend the $15 million. And they buy a giant chunk of the United of what would go on to become the United States. This like a, a ton of the sort of south middle of the United States. They go back to D.C. and they're like, "Yo, good news, Prez. You know, we we got a lot more than just New Orleans, but we did have to spend fifteen million. Jefferson's happy. Then he has some political fighting to do in D.C. to get the extra five million dollars. But long story short, the Louisiana Purchase turns out to be this huge thing. Meanwhile. Meanwhile, these two guys, these two colonialists, have just purchased Louisiana territory from Napoleon, which is completely fully populated, full of Native Americans, who basically are just going, 
Wait, who sold what to who? What? What are you talking about? You bought Louisiana. First of all, it ain't called Louisiana. Second of all, you don't own Louisiana, which is a little bit of a look into the ugly part of our history. Anyway, long story short, <coughs> that was a fun that was a fun kind of class, if you will. Then we also had this guy who spoke, who if you look him up, you'll see um You'll see who I'm talking about. It's not a name you're going to recognize, but when I tell you what he did, who he is, you'll get a, a real kick out of it. His name is Richard Lipsy. Right. You're not going to know who he was, but he was a military police officer. And his real, real claim to fame is he was in charge of funerals and everything that went around funerals at the time that JFK was assassinated. Now, typically what that would mean would mean, a, you know, an ex-president. You know, I think there was a couple of presidents at the time who were still alive who were very elderly. Uh, also, you know, if a if a governor were to pass away or a past governor were to pass away, right? Any any highly lauded or, or sort of, you know, high-ranking political figure passed away and Richard Lipsy and his team were sort of in charge of creating the services and the funeral. Well... Even though it was not thought that it would ever happen, that would also include should the president pass away. And so all of a sudden, Richard Lipsy went from military police officer with a relatively mundane job, right? Basically securing funerals for political figures to all of a sudden securing the funeral for JFK. And part of that meant he, he was basically he and his team basically are in charge the moment the body is pronounced dead, right? Secret service is gone. They're no longer on the duty as soon as he's he's pronounced dead, and now all of a sudden the military police are on duty once he's pronounced dead. So um, Richard Lipsy was basically in charge of JFK's body from the time he landed back in D.C. after he left Dallas to the moment he was buried, and um, he talked uh, he talked about how he uh, was in the room for the autopsy. He did a lot to quell any conspiracies or anything like that. Um, he, uh, he, he, I don't know. It was just really fascinating hearing him talking about being around Jackie O and um, the family, the kids, the decisions, everything, how it was made, all those decisions were made. He talked about, you know, one of the things that was so interesting about that was everything was in black and white. Jackie O was wearing this now famously bright pink dress and he just talked about how sort of vibrant the pink dress was that the nation never really saw the pink dress right because it was all black and white for so long they've since gone back and created color versions of all that video but anyway um it was a really fascinating thing and he it's 50 years you know since the assassination and uh or wait 70 80 90 oh three thirty no 60 is it 60 years Six, yeah, 60, whatever, 1963, right? Yeah. So um, 60 years, yeah. So it's been tw- it was 25 years that he was completely sworn to secrecy, could not say a word publicly about anything that happened during that time. And then in 1988, he gave a speech. Finally, when, he, when that was lifted, that 25-year sort of vow of silence was lifted, we heard his speech this week, in the exact same conference room where he gave that very first speech in 1988, which was really, really cool. Now, Richard Lipsy's gone on to become an entrepreneur several times over. He's got a couple very successful businesses. Um, you know, he's doing very, very well for himself. 
there in uh, in Louisiana, and he announced during our speech, um, that, or he I should say he hinted towards that this would be the last time he ever gave the speech, that he'd come full circle, that he had uh, you know told the speech. Now it was twenty five years of silence. Now it's been thirty five years he's been telling the speech. And the other thing, Richard, you know, he's a little older. You could see that he was he was um, maybe just, you know, he was very sharp and he was there. But over a couple different times where maybe he lost his sharpness for a moment or two, you could just see he's just getting older. It just is what it is. And um, he announced that he's been working with LSU, which, of course, Louisiana State University, located there in Baton Rouge, to create a documentary that it's almost done, that there are – it's going to be a very – polished, very professional documentary, and that it's how his story will live on instead of him traveling the country telling this story for the, the way he has for the last 35 years, he's going to, uh, he, it's going to be this documentary now that people can watch. And so really interesting. He also had these pictures that were taken around those, that time that are just sort of never before seen pictures or they're from his caught from his private collection because he shows them during his speech, but they've really never been published. And there's nothing super awe or jaw-dropping. It's just really interesting little slices of history. It's just different angles on some of the pictures you've seen your whole life from around JFK's funeral and things like that. So um, stuff like that happened at this conference as well. So you've got these these sort of leadership seminars interspersed with all this content. And then, of course, fantastic food. Oh, the food, the food, the food. Yeah, uh, we got to Baton Rouge on a Monday, Monday morning, and I had done a ton of research as to where we wanted to go. And we landed on this place called Jubin's, J-U-B-A-N apostrophe S, in Baton Rouge. And it's just sort of this classic. And we went there, and it really was, it felt like you'd stepped back in time about 30 years walking into this dining room. Everything was like gold and shiny, you know, almost like what would have been considered very, very fancy in the late 80s, early 90s, because it was all shiny gold, everything. Now it just it looks a little tacky now, but I didn't find it to be tacky because I just found it to be like a step back in history. The servers are all dressed like, you know, shirt, uh, shirt uh, uh, what do you say, shirt and a tie, suspenders, things like that. Just a real step back. Um, now, the prices were not set back in the 80s. Those were, uh, <laughs> but we were there for lunch. We got crab meat BLTs. And they have a lunch promotion at this place, 25-cent cocktails. How about that? Limit two per person, so you can't sit there and drink all day. But uh, So we had a nice little time there at Jubin's, went back to the hotel. Conference hadn't started yet, so we just hung out. By the way, when I say we, it was me and the executive director of Rochester Rotary, Tracy Dreisbach. Being around her also was a, a really good education for me because she – is the executive director of this organization over 300 people, all of whom go to her, right? Tracy has a little staff. Uh, She's got several people, but for the most part, the 300-plus Rotary members go to Tracy for just about everything. She runs a camp, uh, a camp with a budget over seven figures as a not-for-profit with these 300 members. Basically, she acts more like a CEO than most of the CEOs I know. And so being around her and getting to see and hear how she thinks and how she breaks down numbers and breaks down, 
you know, uh, committees and how she breaks down what is essentially teams. And, and uh, I'm using the word employees. For her, it's not that. It's more committees and members and things like that. But it was interesting for me to see because it kind of helps me as a leader, plus as the incoming Rochester Rotary president, to understand how it all works, basically. So Tuesday, Wednesday are the conferences. Oh, we have a guest appearance. Wait a second. Is this the birthday boy? Yeah. <gasps> Hi, Leo. Here, talk right here. Hi. How Hi. Are you? What did you do for your birthday? Trampoline park. Did we go to Altitude Trampoline Park yesterday? Yeah. And did you have a whole bunch of friends come? Yeah. And what happened? Did you have fun? Yeah. Did you get some presents and stuff? Yeah. You got presents? Yeah. What kind? What were your favorite presents? And and, and I get just opened Mario Brothers. You need to come upstairs. Okay. I can I just finish my podcast and then I'll come upstairs and we're gonna play Mario Brothers. Yes. Awesome. Leo got. Uh, I, I mean, we're skipping to the end of the podcast here, but we had his party yesterday at Altitude Trampoline Park. And it was the cutest thing in the world. Oh, my goodness. Um, when they started to sing him happy birthday, his face just lights up. He's just got this huge smile on his face. I got to see if I can post the video. so freaking cute. Oh, so cute. So it is his birthday week. So we had the party yesterday. Today is nothing. Today's Sunday sauce, Browns game. That's it. Um, tomorrow's kind of a uh, day off. I need it, though, because I haven't been to work in a week, I had my laptop with me in Baton Rouge, but you know, what I'm, I'm answering emails for an hour a day. It's not exactly working. So t- tomorrow, Monday is just a flat out day off. His birthday is until Wednesday, November first. Um, November. So Tuesday being Halloween, Wednesday being November first. Obviously, going to be very busy days. I need tomorrow, Monday, to really just work. Like that's just a day off of everything. Just work. Head down at my desk all day. Leave me the F alone. Let me get everything done. I put myself in a really good spot before I left, but it takes about two days to get buried again. So, um, And then, uh, yeah, for the birthday festivities, next weekend we're going to Toronto. Leaving Friday afternoon, coming back Sunday morning. He loves the CN Tower. Leo just loves, loves, loves the CN Tower. He got a globe for Christmas that was, like, interactive. <coughs> and... um. The globe has a Toronto thing you can press, and when he presses Toronto, it pulls up a whole video and history on the CN Tower. So ever since he got that globe, he just talked about how he wanted to go to the CN Tower, and eventually he said that's what he wanted for his birthday. We still had the birthday party because his mother cannot say no to anything, even though originally we had planned just a trip to Toronto. That's it. No birthday party. Then all of a sudden, we ended up with both somehow. Uh, Plus, this Wednesday is his birthday, and I am so excited because he's in a new school this year. He's in transitional kindergarten, and transitional kindergarten is all about getting the kids ready to go to kindergarten. So one of the big things is, look, your parents can't be hanging around the classroom because that was the type of thing that would happen in nursery school a lot, in like preschool, nursery school, was that parents would drop their kid off, they'd linger around the classroom for five or ten minutes, they'd show up five or ten minutes before the end of class. There are even some real helicopter parents who would show up right in the middle of the school day at the nursery school and just kind of basically not leave them alone. Uh, But in transitional kindergarten, they've put up that boundary. They've said, you drop your kid off, you pick your kid up. We don't want you here in between. They make 
two exceptions. One, parent-teacher conferences. Two, your kid's birthday. So Wednesday is actually the very first time that Ryan and I get to go and actually see him in the classroom like during a school day this whole year. So we're very, very excited. Very excited about that. That's Wednesday. It's, oh, and they're even that strict. It's like you can't be here till eleven thirty, and we, you know, and we and we we're done at twelve. So you've got thirty minutes to be here. Then get the f out and don't come back. <laughs> it's good. It's overall good. And then yeah, Toronto, Toronto this weekend, next weekend. Okay, what else was I talking about? I was talking about Baton Rouge. The conferences were great. I had actually, I decided to extend my trip because never been to Louisiana before. Arguably can't say I'm probably ever going to go to Louisiana again. And I said, I'm an hour from New Orleans. How do I not visit New Orleans? So everyone left this conference on Thursday morning. I opted to head to New Orleans for one night. So I had to find a ride. And Uber was like 160 bucks. Renting a car because I wasn't going to return it to the same place was going to be around the same price, 150 bucks or so. Uh, I know. It's like more expensive if you if you want to return your car to the same location. I could have rented a car for like $46. But because I was renting it in Baton Rouge and driving it to New Orleans, it was triple the price. Plus, once you get to Baton Rouge, now you got to park the car. And, of course, the hotel has a really nice little parking fee of 50 bucks. So I go, look, no. There was this one concierge at the Baton Rouge Hotel who I could just tell was a hustler, right? He was just, he, this dude was, he was the guy you ask anything you need, ask this guy, give him a tip, put, put a few bucks in his hand and ask him a question, he was going to get you an answer. So I said, you know anybody that could drive in in New Orleans on Friday? And I knew what the prices were, right? I knew Uber was going to be 150 bucks. I knew driving a car was going to be 150 bucks plus 50 bucks to park. I knew I could get like a Greyhound bus ticket for 20 bucks, but that I didn't want to spend three hours on a one-hour drive. Plus, I always hear Greyhound gets delayed and, and you know, smells like pee, <laughs> like, you know, things like that. So um, I just asked this guy, I go, hey, you know anybody drive me to New Orleans? And he goes, how much are you looking to spend? And I just took a stab. I said... And I know if my partner Tom's hearing this, he would say, bro, got to let him throw out a number. But I threw, I knew, look, I knew I was in for 150 bucks, saw it as a way to save 50 bucks. So I said, 100 bucks cash? He goes, let me make a couple phone calls. So he makes a couple phone calls. Next thing you know, he goes, my brother-in-law will pick you up tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. right here. <laughs> so there we go, 100 bucks. Got to New Orleans, got there, walked around the French Quarter quite a bit, um, I was staying at this little hotel called the Hyatt Centric, which I would highly recommend. Very nice hotel right in the middle of the French Quarter. So my thoughts on New Orleans and the French Quarter are going to be a little bit mixed, and it might not be what you're expecting from me. Were there things I loved? Absolutely things I loved. I love history. I love culture. I love – I can't say I love architecture because I don't know shit about architecture, but I love that I'm in this little European neighborhood – and it looks European. It feels and looks like it was built by Europeans. And I love that. That, to me, is is just this awesome feeling. Now, what I didn't love about the French Quarter was one thing that nobody can help, and that is it's just hot. Right? It's mid-80s in New Orleans this time of year in the middle of the day. So it's just hot. Although that helped me because one other thing I didn't really love about the French Quarter 
was how often you get approached by somebody looking for money. Now, this is a hard subject to bring up because I don't want to appear heartless, but it becomes nauseating eventually because in the French Quarter, pretty much every block, somebody owns that block, and as you walk by, they're asking you for money. Some are more passive. They just have a sign. Some are more aggressive. They're walking right up to you, getting in your way, stopping you from going where you're going, and asking you questions, which essentially ends in, can you give them some money? I did something that I think accidentally worked to help quell that a bit. First of all, it's 85 degrees, as I mentioned. So I dressed in basketball shorts and a T-shirt. And I'm a giant man. And since I was alone in New Orleans, I put in earbuds, which meant I looked like I looked crazy. I looked like I could very well be a crazy. And I also walk slow. Right, because I'm trying to take everything in, so I'm not bustling, hustling, and bustling. A lot of people are hustling and bustling for some reason. It's like they're walking as fast as they can. I'm just walking slow, kind of floating along the sidewalk. And I think a lot of them looked at me and thought maybe I was crazy. <laughs> so, so they didn't bother me. And with all due respect, I probably looked a little crazy. Um, you know, the other thing I maybe didn't like about the French Quarter, while I'm just getting this off my chest here, it, it it almost constantly smells like sewer. Like every other block, you just get this big like whiff of sewer. Just smells. And so it's hot. It smells. People are constantly bothering you. There's a lot of hawking also that happens, which is people standing outside of stores trying to convince you to walk into their store or their restaurant or whatever. Some things about it I just didn't like. What I loved about it was everything I already mentioned, all the visuals, the feeling the architecture, um, the history. I, you know, in retrospect, kind of wish I'd signed up for a tour and gotten a t- like a proper guided tour of the French Quarter because, again, that's the stuff I like. I, I went out for about two hours, just kind of walked around, got the lay of the land. I really wanted to make sure I had stepped foot in the entire French Quarter. So I walked everywhere there was in the French Quarter. Uh, and then I went back to my hotel room. My phone was dying at this point, so I took about an hour off. I laid in my hotel bed. This is probably about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And um, laid there for about an hour, let my phone charge, and then started researching stuff about, like, where to get dinner. And remember, this was Thursday. The Bills played, and the and I'm in central time. So the Bills played at 7.15 p.m. my time where I was. And I'm, you know, I'm alone, so I'm not really going to go out partying. So I decided, okay, I'm going to create myself a little itinerary here. I'm going to have a lot of fun, but I'm going to be back to the room in time for the Bills game so I can watch that. So I go out, and I go, and the very first thing I do is, first of all, it's relatively cheap to drink in the French Quarter. So I use these two free drink tickets I got when I got into my hotel. Boom, drink one, drink two. Then I go for the famous drink. This is like the most famous drink in the whole French Quarter. Pat O'Brien's Hurricane. I order a Hurricane. It's basically Hawaiian punch with four shots of rum in it. I'm drinking this thing. I am feeling it. I mean, two. I had two beers because the drink tickets you couldn't use for cocktails. So I had two beers. Then I had this freaking cocktail with four shots in it. I'm buzzing. I decide I'm going to walk to this place called Coop's Place because it was, from what I could find, it was the best sort of, you know, straight-up Louisiana food in the French Quarter. It's on the outskirts of the French Quarter. So I walk up to that. I order a bunch of food. I end up getting gumbo, a, a bowl of gumbo, and a, and a large uh, jambalaya. 
And I posted on my social media, I posted the menu to this place. It was very, very authentic, looked and felt authentic. The restaurant itself looked and felt authentic. I even walked at one point to go to the bathroom, which took me outside to go to the bathroom, actually, which was near where the kitchen was, and I could see into the kitchen. And, man, that was some... um, that was some, you know, there were some some very southern accents flying around that joint with some dudes who looked like they were born and raised on the bio. <laughs> like, I was like, I found my place. Now I got to carry this food back. I have this food in my hand, and all of a sudden I start walking down. I had planned it, but I start walking down one of the main strips where, like, Cafe du Monde is and the Andrew Jackson statue and the Mississippi River and the famous river boats and stuff. And so I start walking down that way, and now I've got this food in my hand, and I'm just like on this long, long walk, and I start really taking in the history and watching and taking pictures of things and looking at all the things I had kind of read about for the last, you know, while I was in bed for that hour just hanging out and getting pictures, and just that was a really good time. I make it all the way back to my hotel and I end up uh, getting home back just in time to watch kickoff. I'm happy as a pig and shit, man. I got back at 7 o'clock. I take a shower. I've compiled that food. Plus, I got a couple beignets from one of the cafes down there. And I'm like, I have my little feast. I've got my Bills game. I'm showered. It's 7 o'clock at night. And I got nowhere to be till tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Like, that was just the best feeling in the world. So that felt like vacation right there. That whole thing actually felt like reset, calm down, you're on vacation. The seminar part was cool. Being out of town is always kind of fun. Being around other things. But, you know, still, you have to have your thinking cap on. As they, do they still say that? Thinking cap? Jesus, I haven't said that in forever. I don't know where that came from. Thinking cap goes right up there with, that's going to be on your permanent record. But I just, I, I just, I had, now I had like 12 hours off, just nothing in my hotel room, but a Bills game, some cool food. I was freshly showered and like, I was going to go to bed after that Bills game and just sleep like, you know, eight or 10 hours uninterrupted. It was amazing. So I wake up Friday morning. Everything's pretty smooth. Get to the airport, flight one, New Orleans to Atlanta, flight two, Atlanta to Rochester. Everything's on time. It's great. One small hiccup at the end, and that is when my luggage does not show up in Rochester on, uh, what was this, Friday night, I guess. Friday night, no luggage. I end up finding out, oh, I go into the, I love this, I go into the baggage counter. They go, oh, yeah, um, Guglielmo, yes. Oh, looks like your bag never left Atlanta. And I go, oh, man, that stinks, you know. I'm going, like, how how does that happen? She's like, I'm not sure. I go, okay, so what do we do? And she looks at me, and I swear to God, she looks at me, and she says, do you want me to have them send it here? What? Wait, are there people that say no to that question? What do you mean, do you want? Of course. I wasn't rude. I just, I was very nice. I went, yes, please. Yes, that would be great. But in my head, I'm going like, did you just ask me if I want my luggage sent to Rochester? No, keep it in Atlanta. They need it more there than I do. What are you talking about? So anyway, (laughs) the truth is, after I had this fabulous Thursday night in New Orleans, as I described to you, my Friday night back in Rochester was kind of shitty. Now, what wasn't shitty was the best feeling in the entire world. And that is, I walk out of the arrivals uh, place at the airport there's my wife in the car and there's my son his window's down he's looking out his window and he goes daddy daddy and that was 
the entire meaning of life. I run to the car. I get in the back seat with him. I'm hugging him. I'm kissing him. I'm hugging him. I'm kissing him. I had bought him some souvenirs as well. And so luckily I had that in my carry-on. So I was like, we're going to go home, buddy. I got you some souvenirs. He's getting all excited. Plus his birthday party's tomorrow morning. So he wants to tell me all about that. And like, it was just the best. But I didn't have my luggage with me and I sleep with a CPAP machine and I'm on a thyroid medication. So I don't know when my bag's going to come in. They think it's going to come in sometime in the next 24 hours. But basically, I got to go home now and sleep without a CPAP, which means I'm kicked out of my bedroom because my wife's not going to let me sleep in my bedroom if I'm snoring, A. B, I'm going to sleep like shit because I'm not going to sleep in my bed. My only other option really is a couch at that point. And I didn't, man. I didn't. I, I barely slept that night. Barely, barely slept Friday night into Saturday. Then had to wake up and go to uh, to his birthday party, but I had to run a couple errands first, pick up donuts and cider for the party. Then I went to Redbird Market um, and had to help move a freezer. And this is all, I have not brushed my teeth. I have not put on deodorant. I barely slept last night, and I have not taken my medication. <laughs> so, like, kind of tortured, but I end up getting a message from the airport. My bag has arrived. So I'm able to pick that up, and shortly after Leo's party, I'm able to finally enter back into human mode. I take a little nap. Last night, got a great night's sleep, and now it's Sunday morning, and as soon as I hit end on this podcast, I'm heading upstairs to start making sauce. So it all comes together, doesn't it? And I get to be with my family today, and Leo, and we're going to play with toys, and it's just going to be great. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, and I hope you have a great week.